Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to go with me this morning to John's Gospel and the 14th verse, or the 14th chapter. I want to pick up where I left off a few weeks ago maybe a couple or three weeks ago, on the subject of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, and let's read verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. John 14, beginning in the 15th verse. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Notice again, as as we ministered a few weeks ago, Jesus told the disciples before he had gone to the cross, before he had been raised from the dead, before he had ascended into heaven, he said, you know the Holy Spirit. Because he's with you. Well, how was he with them? He was with them in the life and ministry of Christ. Isn't that right? And he said, you know him for he dwells with you, but he will be in you. He will come to live inside of you. Go with me if you would also then to the 16th chapter of John's gospel. And let's look at verse number 7. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter or the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come to the disciples after Jesus went away. And the astonishing thing to me has always been that he told the disciples that it was important that Jesus said, he said, it's important that I go away because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him. That clearly tells me that it's more important that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. It it, it would be more beneficial today than even if Jesus was here in the flesh. Now, most Christians would have a hard time acknowledging that. What could be any better than having Jesus right here actually in the flesh? He said, you will do better and it will be to your advantage if I go and I send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Well, praise the Lord. The ministry of the Holy Spirit cannot be uh, uh, overemphasized. The importance of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, has to be emphasized. We have to be reminded because if we don't know all of the spirit and what he has come to accomplish in our lives, we will not gain that advantage that Jesus talked about. He said, it's to your advantage that I go and the comforter comes. Well, we want that advantage. That advantage doesn't work automatically. That advantage doesn't work automatically. It works as we submit ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, you could be in the, in the presence of the Lord Jesus. We saw that in Jesus' day. There were people right there where he was. It didn't, it, there was no advantage to them because they didn't take what was offered. Isn't that right? They didn't yield themselves to the ministry of Christ. Well, we have to yield ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we've talked about the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of every believer. When a Christian is born again, the day you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence on the inside of you. He said, he told the disciples, he's now with you, but he will be in you. And so we know from the scriptures that our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a powerful thing to know that God, the person of the Holy Ghost, lives in me and you. 
that ought to affect everything about our lives. When we get up in the morning, it ought to affect what we think, how we talk, where we go, what we do, how we behave. Because everywhere we go, everywhere your eyes look, everything you take in, the Holy Spirit's right there on the inside of you. And he's there to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our helper. In fact, the Amplified Translation where in these verses in in chapter 14 and 15 and 16 where it talks about the comforter, the older King James said the comforter, the new King James says the helper. Every place that uh, those words are used, the Amplified Bible brings out the sevenfold uh, meaning of that name. There's so much in the work of the Holy Spirit. The Amplified translates this word comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. Glory to God. The Holy Spirit is all of those things. He is our comforter. He is the one who comforts and helps us and ministers to us in time of need. He is our counselor. Do you have an attorney? Have you ever called an attorney? Do you ever need an attorney? What's another word for it? Counselor. And the reason he's your counselor is because he has expert, inside, precise knowledge about the legal affairs that you're dealing with. Isn't that right? Well, a counselor is someone that has insight, that has knowledge, that can point us in the right, in the right direction. So he's our counselor. He's our, uh, he's our advocate. What is an advocate? An advocate is someone who takes your side someone who represents you, someone who stands with you and takes up your case, glory to God. Well, he's our advocate, amen? He is our intercessor. An intercessor is a go-between, someone who represents someone in time of need, glory to God. He's our intercessor. He's our strengthener, glory to God. He strengthens our lives every day. We're filled with the power of his might. He's the standby. He's always there, glory to God. You know, sometimes you don't need the standby. Sometimes you're going along in life and everything's fine, but every now and then you hit a trouble spot. Amen? And it's good to know you've got some standby power. I have, a, I have a, a, an eight-cylinder you know, engine in my, in my uh, Sequoia, and uh, you know, I don't use all that power all the time. But you know what? I've, got, I've driven up in the mountains with it, I notice there are sometimes you start going up a real steep incline and, and suddenly you need more power. It's good to know I've got some standby. Glory to God. I put my foot to the, to the floor and that thing kicks into, into uh, what do you call it? Overdrive, you know, and, 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 and uh, power surges. Well, he's a standby in our life. He's always there with more power. Glory to God. And, and like the New King James translates it, simply the word helper. All of those things are help. Isn't that right? Thank God for that. But there is another experience and it doesn't diminish the importance of the first experience and his ministry in us. It doesn't diminish that ministry, but there is another ministry and another work of the spirit that is is separate and has a different purpose than his ministry in us. And that's the ministry of him when his power comes upon us in the, something called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I remember in, you know, well, some of this I, I just know by history and then I remember some of it because I, I, I lived through it. You know, in, in the, at the turn of the 20th century, 1900, uh, up until that time, it had been hundreds of years since anyone, virtually anyone in the body of Christ in the whole world knew anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was something that had been explained away. The, uh, the, the theology of the hundreds and hundreds of years before that was that when a person is born again, they receive the Holy Spirit and that's all there is to it. There's one experience and, it, and it's the experience that takes place at the new birth. And that what you receive in the new birth, in the person of the Holy Spirit, there isn't anything more. And the church as a whole, there were maybe a few isolated uh, people here and there who had more light. But as a whole, that's what the church taught. But when the Pentecostal revival broke out in 1906 
and, and a few years leading up to that, suddenly a tremendous wave of God's power hit our nation. And people were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that as the great Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. It, it was actually happening in smaller uh, outbreaks, if you want to call it that, in different parts of the country. But that's one, the one big revival that gets everybody's attention, most people are familiar with. And the power of, of the Spirit of God being poured out and an experience in addition to the new birth experience, in addition to the Holy Spirit living within, people suddenly realize there's another dimension altogether to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's called the baptism with the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. And this Pentecostal experience uh, and movement really exploded. Now, it, the, the people who were in that Revival that lasted for several years. People went out, people came from all over the world, traveled, being led supernaturally to come to find out what was going on in that little uh, storehouse there in, on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And people came and were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they went back to different countries all over the world. And this Pentecostal revival spread all over the world. But in most places, like in America, it really spawned churches uh, that were Pentecostal churches and much of the rest of the church world, what we call the denominational world, the nominal denominational world, most people in the body of Christ did not receive this experience. And so there was a lot of opposition to these people and what they had discovered. They had discovered there was another dimension, another whole ministry of the Holy Spirit. They were enjoying it and people were speaking in other tongues and people were being healed and all kinds of miracles and supernatural deliverances of, of every sort. All of those things come uh, together and flow together when the Holy Spirit is poured out. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, people start getting healed. They start speaking with other tongues. Their signs and wonders begin. All kinds of miracles. It just all comes together. Well, much of the, of the like I said, the denominational church world rejected that. And so out of that revival sprung Pentecostal denominations. Several of the mainline Pentecostal denominations that we have today came out of those early days of the 20th century. And uh, up until the 1960s, the people being filled with the Spirit, speaking with other tongues, and, and all of the miraculous and the things that were going on, again, were, were isolated in and among Pentecostal churches. The rest of the church world rejected it. Something happened, though, in 1960. Leading up to that, actually, in the late 1940s, Smith Wigglesworth uh, laid hands on a man named Duplessis, David Duplessis, laid hands on, on a man who was in South Africa, South African minister, late, he was a Pentecostal, laid hands on him and gave him a word from God. He said, God is going to use you in a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a great end time revival. And so uh, David Duplessis, then by the direction of the Lord, began to uh, have conversations, he called it conversations with leaders of other uh, denominations that didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. He began to visit with the World Council of Churches and, and uh, uh, religious leaders from different denominations and began to just enter into dialogue with them. He, what he was trying to do was bridge the, the, the void and that, and that gap of no conversation and no discussion and, and really no fellowship between these two big groups. And he began to, to uh, reach out to people and, and suddenly, to his own surprise, they were actually receptive. And some of the leaders of these groups, uh, people, at, at leaders, religious leaders in Yale University and Harvard, some of the great Ivy League schools began to contact him. People from the different denominations that had rejected the move of the Holy Spirit began to contact him and they said, we want to know more. We're intrigued with what you're telling us. And God began to open up doors. This was in the 1950s and on in, you know, in the late 50s. Well, this movement began to grow 
And most people credit the charismatic revival as starting when Dennis Bennett, who was an Episcopalian priest in Van Nuys, California on March the 3rd, 1960, there was a handful of people in his church that had been praying for this baptism with power. And they had been secretly meeting together and praying and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit in this little basement of this. It really wasn't a small church. It was a church of about 2,600 people. They had three services every Sunday. And, uh, but there was a small gathering and, and they were praying and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, eventually he realized he, he had to tell his congregation. So he got up on, on Sunday morning, March the 3rd, 1960, in this, you know, staid and dignified uh, pres- uh, Episcopal church. And he explained to the congregation that he and a few of the members of the church had experienced a personal Pentecost in their lives, that they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit and had begun to speak with other tongues. Well, it didn't go over very good. Uh, he, he said that in the morning service, he said it in the next service and then in the, and, and by each service, more and more news was spreading and more and more people. And by the end of the third service, it was an absolute uproar. People were mad. They weren't, you're not bringing this fanaticism into this. You know, we have a great church and we have all of our traditions that, that we've had for all of these hundreds of years and, and, and we don't want anybody upsetting anything. And he eventually had to, now he wasn't forced to resign a few months later. He said that he could have stayed. He said, but he knew it would be a fight. That every week he would be, there would be people who would be fighting him, leaders and elders and so forth in the church. And he said it, it, to him, it wasn't worth detracting from the importance of the message to end up fighting all the time. And so he, he did resign his church and eventually he was assigned to another church. They sent him, the, uh, the head of the, of, the, of the Episcopal Church sent him, uh, ultimately, I think later that year, they sent him to Seattle, Washington to a little struggling, now here he had a church of 2,600 people. They sent him to a little struggling church in the, in the Seattle area. He took that church, it exploded. And, and it became a model for church growth over the, uh, the decades that followed. But anyway, when this happened to Father Bennett, as he was called, when, when he received this experience, it was so alarming to people. It made such news that the local newspapers picked it up. And then after that, television in, 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 that, you know, in that area in Los Angeles or Van Nuys picked it up. And after that, it, it just exploded like wildfire. It was as if a powder keg had been sitting there waiting to go off. And, and this little spark in Van Nuys, California, it, it was almost like a, like a uh, uh, what do you call it, a fuse. It just ran all across the country. And the media started picking it up. They had him in Newsweek magazine, Time magazine covered the story. It went all across the country and the charismatic revival erupted. And in the 1960s and 1970s, and on into maybe the early 80s, the charismatic revival swept all of the denominational churches. There wasn't any, there was not one denomination, even some of the orthodox denominations that hadn't had, you know, a move of God in centuries were, were affected. But all of the, you just pick a denomination and charismatics begin to be, uh, begin to, to be springing up in all of the churches. Now before, People had called us Pentecostals. But this, the, this new wave, this new revival, these people didn't want to be called Pentecostals, so they wanted to be called Charismatics. The word Charismatic comes from the Greek word Charisma, which is the name of the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's called the Charisma. And so they, they like to be called Charismatics. And uh, the neat thing about the 1960s, and I didn't know any of this was going on, uh, but when I got back into fellowship with the Lord in the early 70s and started going to church again, I, 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 I kind of stumbled into this, and, and it, was, it had been sweeping the church for a number of years. And the neat thing about it is that people, it seemed to be as though people everywhere were talking about the Holy Spirit. People who had been in these churches for, for all of their lives and didn't know what was missing 
There was something missing. There was some, all of their churches were very staid and very professional and very uh, orderly and very calm and, and uh, very religious. And when, when the, the leadership had kept people ignorant that there was anything else. So no one knew. No one paid attention to Pentecostals because the leadership in the mainline denominational churches so ostracized and talked about and criticized people that were called Pentecostals that people in these other churches, they wouldn't even look over there. I belonged to one of the classical Pentecostal churches and we were looked down upon. All the other denominations looked down on the Pentecostals. We were considered... Uh, 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 you know, extreme, and we were considered fanatics, and we were considered uh, in error, and even worse. They said all types of things. And so people in the mainline churches paid no attention to what was going on in Pentecostal churches. But now, it was showing up in their churches. And people suddenly realized, we've been missing out. All of these years, we've been, there's, there is an, there's another whole dimension of God that is available for me in my Christian life and I've been missing out on it and they were so excited because there was fresh power, fresh fire in their lives. It was so refreshing to me. I remember those days. It made such a, a, an impact upon me. Now, in those days, the word of faith movement, sort of that, that brother, God used Brother Hagen to bring, sprang out of the soil of, you could say it that way, of the charismatic movement. And, uh, and so I got you know, exposed to Kenneth Hagin and his material and his teaching, but it was very much a part of the, of the broader charismatic renewal. And so my friends and I, you know, we started attending these charismatic meetings. And the thing that was so exciting to us was that people had suddenly been awakened to the fact that there was more. There was more than just a religious life. Following a liturgy, coming into service, having a set order, reading from a pamphlet, everybody repeating some, certain words, no power, just a dead uh, religious form. And even churches that had uh, preaching where uh, the, the pastor or the minister would get up and actually take a Bible text and preach, there was still a denial of the supernatural. Anything considering, considered miraculous or supernatural or out of the ordinary was looked down on. And so people, they, they didn't have that element in their life. But when the charismatic renewal happened or the charismatic revival, suddenly people realized that there's actually, there's actually a power that God has for me that, that when I'm born again, I can receive this experience and it will energize me, it will, it will empower me, it will embolden me. It, it takes people to another dimension in God. Now again, that doesn't take away from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, it helps us appreciate his work in us even better. The fullness of the Spirit. People have said it like this. You, you know, when you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, but you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, on the day of Pentecost, it said that they were there, you know, on the day of Pentecost, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit in you. It's another thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you can, you can, you can have a couple of bites to eat, or you can sit down and eat a whole meal. How many of you know there's a difference between being full and just taking a bite or two? Isn't that right? Well, there, there's, there's, there's the Holy Spirit in us in the new birth, but he wants us to go beyond just having the, a measure of the Spirit. He wants us to be filled with his Spirit. Amen. One of the best ways, now, now let's look at this uh, comparison. We Go back over to John 14 for just a moment. Look at John 14. In verse 17, it says, For he dwells with you and will be in you. Over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we won't turn there, but it talks about the Holy Spirit who is in you. Notice the terminology, the Holy Spirit in you. But then if you will turn over to uh, Luke chapter 24, 
Go back to Luke 24. Notice this. In verse 49, Jesus told his disciples after he had been raised from the dead, he said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That word endued means to be clothed upon. He said, I send the promise of my father upon you. Now turn over to the book of Acts and look at the first chapter, Acts chapter 1. You know, John wrote the gospel, excuse me, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And so in in Acts chapter 1, Luke is writing, he said, being assembled together, and this is verse number four, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, we just read that, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse number eight, he said, you shall, re- you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall, shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice the difference. One talks about the Holy Spirit being upon you. The other talks about the Holy Spirit being within you. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going away and the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he will be in you. But then on another occasion, he said, after that happens, he said, wait and tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, that is, that, there's more to that than just semantics. It's not just, it's not just different words. Those words identify two different ministries, two different degrees, two different dimensions of the Holy Spirit. The best way to illustrate this is in the life of Christ. We can see in the life of Christ the effect of the Holy Spirit in him and we can see the effect of the Holy Spirit upon him and how the two are completely different. If you, if you think about this, we won't read all the passages because I think most people are aware of these basic truths. The Lord Jesus, remember when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she was gonna have a child? And, uh, and she asked the angel, she said, how can this be? I'm an unmarried girl, a virgin girl. She said, how, how, can this, how can this happen? And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and shall overshadow you. And that Holy One which will be born of you will be called the Son of God. So Jesus was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. Everybody's familiar with that. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit And he was called the son of God. Well, you couldn't be called the son of God if you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you. Isn't that right? And if, if you remember also at the age of 12, you remember the story when Jesus was 12 years old, how he went up to Jerusalem with his family. It was at a certain feast time and everybody had to go up, you know, to Jerusalem for the feast. And he was with his family and when they started to leave, the, the, that was, you know, people, traveled in extended families, large groups of relatives. And after they left, they had gone three days journey. And suddenly they, they realized that their, their son, Jesus, Mary and, and Joseph realized their son wasn't there. 12 year old, they just thought he had was, you know, was staying with the other in, you know, relatives, aunts and uncles and so forth. And uh, they started searching for him and nobody, nobody knew where he was. So Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem, obviously, you know, frantic. You know, look, what's happened to our son? They go back to Jerusalem. They went into the temple, and Jesus is sitting in the temple. You remember this story? The, the Bible says Jesus was sitting there at the feet of all of the, of the scholars and the leaders, and he was asking them questions that no one had ever asked before, and he was giving answers that they didn't have. Now, how do you suppose he did that? Do you think he was just super intelligent? No, it was because of the Holy Spirit in him. And when Mary and Joseph found him, they said, you know, why have you done this to us? You you know, we've been worried about you. He said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? At 12 years old, he knew he was the Christ. At 12 12 years old, how, how could he possibly know that? He knew it because of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, a lot of people have the mistaken idea, and this will help you a lot, really. If you don't understand this particular truth that I'm about to share with you, it, you'll, there's a lot about the New Testament that you won't understand. When Jesus came to this earth and took on human form, it says over in the book of Philippians that he humbled himself and he emptied himself. Now, the older King James said, says that, that he became of no reputation. But in the original Greek, it says he emptied himself. Well, what does that mean that he emptied himself? It simply means that he laid aside the prerogatives that belonged to him as God. He didn't cease to be God, but he ceased to access the privileges of God. Instead of accessing his divinity, he began to access his humanity. So he, he didn't live he never ceased to be God, but his expression was not one of divinity. His expression was humanity. He took upon the nature of men and in every way was made like us. You know, there's a, there's a scripture over in Hebrews that we all love that talks about Jesus, that, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, you know, because we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You remember that scripture, Hebrews chapter four? It says, in all things, he was, he was, he was tempted. How does it say? It? He, in all ways, in all things, he was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. How in the world could Jesus be tempted with sin if he was operating out of his deity? Over in James, it says, God cannot be tempted with evil. I mean, if Jesus was here, if he was living out of his divinity, nothing would tempt him. But it says he was in all points tempted as we are. Everything you've been tempted with in your humanity, Jesus faced that same temptation and he faced it as a man. Because he had laid aside the divine powers that he had as God and became a man. And he was subject to every limitation that we have. Instead of being limitless, limitless as his divinity would, would uh, 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 afford him, he was limited by every limitation men are limited by. He didn't know everything in his natural understanding. There were times things were going on and he would ask his disciples, what were you talking about earlier? Well, he asked them because he didn't know. You remember whenever he was uh, visiting Samaria and it said that he grew thirsty and tired and he sat down to take rest. Well, God's never tired. He doesn't get thirsty either. This was in his humanity. If, if, see, if you don't understand the humanity of Christ... You'll never see yourself rising to the level of the Bible. Because if you see Christ in his life and his ministry as, as an expression of deity, then that's something that you can never achieve. You can never aspire to it. Now, let me say this before you, before you misunderstand me. I understand that none of us will ever live a perfect life like Jesus did. I'm not saying that we will ever achieve sinless perfection, that, we'll, that we will always do everything right like him. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the ideal of the Lord Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, it's, it's, it's flesh. You understand? He was a man, though he was God. He wasn't, in other words, it was a change of state, not a change of nature. Does that make any sense? Well, because of that, he had to have the Holy Spirit. And we know he had the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in his life. At, at 12 years of age, he knew his mission. At 30 years of age, he was led by the Spirit to go down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing. How did he know to go there? He was led by the Spirit. So Jesus had all of the, of the 
uh, work of the Holy Spirit in him that we have today. We, we have the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our counselor, to be our helper, to be our strengthener, to be our standby. He had all of that. But now go with me over to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Look at Matthew chapter 3 with me. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 3. Verse number 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice the Holy Spirit came and alighted upon him. Now it was in, the Holy Spirit's not a dove. He just came as the appearance of a dove. But the point is, the Holy Spirit descended and, and uh, rested upon him. Well, that was obviously something new. That was something that he hadn't experienced before. Did he have the Holy Spirit before then? Sure he did. But this was another dimension of the Spirit. This was another operation, another level, another ministry altogether of the Spirit in his life. The, when he came up out of the water, being baptized in water, it says the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended and, and alighted upon him. Now go over to Luke's gospel real quick. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We have the same story that we just read in chapter three of Luke, the story of his baptism and so forth. Let's start there in Luke chapter three. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized and while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. Notice not within him, but upon him. The Holy Spirit descended Upon him, and then the voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, go over to chapter four and look at verse number one. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit coming upon him was synonymous with him being filled with the Holy Spirit. That tells me that Jesus wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at age 12. Are you listening to me? He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at 12 years old. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at 18 years old. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at 25 years old. Did he have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Was he the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Son of God? Absolutely. Was he uh, divine? Absolutely. But he laid aside his, his uh, rights and the privileges and the powers that go with being God, he laid that aside and took up humanity. He laid, it wasn't taken from him, he laid it aside. He laid aside his divinity in order to take up servanthood. Well, that ought to be a big lesson to us. He gave up everything to come to be a servant. It says a bondservant, a slave. He came to take up the life of a slave to be made in the likeness of men and, and to submit himself to everything we experience, all the limitations. In other words, he didn't have the ability to live for God with any added benefit that, uh, beyond what we, you and I have, except for the fact that he did not have inherent sin. He did not have sin that was passed down from his parents because he wasn't born through a natural process. He didn't have an earthly father. He had an earthly mother, but his heavenly father was God. Amen. And so because of that, his sinless perfection, he didn't have that, that, uh, that death on the inside of him that, that has hounded every one of us until we were born again. 
He didn't have that. But beyond that, he, he was completely made like us. Well, he had the Holy Spirit in his life up until age 30, but at 30 years of age, when he went down into the River Jordan and was baptized and came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon him. And in chapter four says, Jesus being filled with the Spirit. See, this is the, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now go back to chapter three. We just read verses 21 and 22. Look at verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. When did Jesus begin his ministry? When he was filled with the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon him, he began his ministry. This is the, an essential understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That God has put his Spirit within us to help us. To, to teach us, to guide us, to benefit us. You know, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby. You think about all of those uh, descriptions of the Holy Spirit's work in you. That's all for us. In other words, you as an individual, that's all for you. It's all directed towards helping you in your personal life. But when, he was, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he entered into a life of ministry to others. He now had something supernatural in his life that he didn't have before. Now, on one hand, the Holy Spirit within us is supernatural. It's not natural. But there's a, there's a greater power that's available to us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we can then be effective in reaching other people. Now, the Bible gives us a good illustration of this as well. Go with me to John chapter 4. Look at John chapter 4. You remember when Jesus, I mentioned to you earlier when he was uh, traveling, you know, and went, by, went through Samaria or outside of Samaria, and he was tired, and uh, he sat down to rest. And while the, uh, the disciples went off to get some, you know, some, some supplies, the woman of Samaria came to him and, and asked him some questions. And, and uh, we won't go into all of that, but in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, he was sitting by a well. There was a well. You know, they had a well that you drop a, a, a bucket down into, fill with water and, and pull up. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become, notice the next two words, in him, a fountain of, lit, of, of, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He said, when a person believes on me, he will receive in him a fountain of living water. Oh, glory to God. Springing up into everlasting life. Well, a fountain's good. Well, a fountain refreshes you, isn't that right? Amen. You know, I, 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 don't have a, I don't have a fountain, but I have a well at my house. And, uh, you know, I live out in the country, and I have a well. And my well satisfies my family. Right now, it's just Angela and I, but it's for us. I have neighbors all around me. They all have their own wells. Now, you know, if, if my well dried up, or my pump broke or something, you know. I could go next door to my neighbors and I could ask to borrow some water. They have plenty of water. They have a well. And, and I'm sure they would give me their water. I'm sure I could take containers, you know, and, and I could carry it home. And as much as I needed, I could come over there, you know, as often as I wanted. But you know what? I'd get tired of that pretty quickly. Getting water from somebody else's well is not a long-term proposition. You need your own well, isn't that right? Because your well satisfies, it's designed for you and your family. And, and, uh, and, and you, can, you can give people water out of your well, but eventually that's not going to work. Amen? You need your own well. Well, Jesus said the water that I shall give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. But if you go over to the seventh chapter of John, 
John chapter 7. Look at verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Well, there's a difference between a well and a river. It's a big difference. I have a well at home and there's an abundant supply for me and for mine. But I also, I have a couple of little lots down on the, on the Swanee River. And uh, I like to go to the river and, and sit out. I like to sit there and watch the river flow by. And the neat thing about the river is that it's not just for me. The river flows from up there and flows down there. It goes after property, after... Nobody has a river contained on their property. You can't contain a river. No, I don't care how big a piece of land you have, you cannot contain a river. Because a river is gonna flow out and it's gonna flow by and it's gonna flow to bless other people. I have property owners on both sides of me and they have the same benefit from the river I do. Well, he said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. See, on the one hand, the spirit within you is that well of water that's designed to refresh you and to minister to you and to supply you and to be all of those things, the the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby. All of those things are ministries the Holy Spirit has to us to bless us and to enrich our lives. But there's also a work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to flow, his power to flow out of us and to reach other people, to go down the street, to go across the world, to go everywhere that God sends us and and enables us to be a blessing to other people. Hallelujah. I tell you what, I remember, I just have very fond memories and you've picked up on that by now. I have fond memories of the days of the charismatic renewal because there was such a hunger in the church. And all of these denominations, they were all affected by it. There was virtually, even in in our small, it started in the big cities, but by the time I moved here in 1980, there wasn't a church in High Springs that had not been affected by the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the charismatic revival. By the time I got here in 1980, Every church, the Catholic church, the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the the Presbyterian church, the the, uh, 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 Lutheran church, the disciples of Christ, all of these groups had been affected. And there was a hunger. Well, Brother Hagin, in in this book, I Believe in Visions, in 1950, he received a visitation from the Lord. And part of it was that uh, a horse and a rider appeared to him. And this horse and rider was coming. It's a very uh, kind of apocalyptic type of, of uh, vision. And this horse and rider came and, and the rider handed Brother Hagen a scroll. And he began to read on this, from this scroll about the last days. And this was in 1950. And he said that we are in the last revival. That was in 1950. We're in the last. He said, this is the last revival. And that we've come to the time of the miraculous. Well, in the 1950s, the healing revival that started in 47 and went through 58 was still going on. But this was referring to something else. And he said, the days and the time that you have left can be likened to the last seven days of Noah's time. And so we don't know exactly when that is or how long that is, but there's a time limit on it. Because he said the days that are left. So there are some days that are numbered that are left. Isn't that right? And he said it can be likened to the last seven days of Noah's time. Well, that was in 1950. And here it is, uh, 2016. That's 66 years. Now, I don't know if a day equals 10 years. You know, seven days be 70 years. I don't know. You could figure it that way. I don't know. But I do know this that Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead in A.D. 30. 
And 2,030 will be 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. And, well, I, I won't look into all the scriptures today, but there's some, there's some hints that the church age would last 2,000 years. Now, I don't know how precise these times are, but I'm telling you this, we're living in the last days. And Brother Hagin went on in his ministry throughout the years and he, and he very often talked about this, this last day outpouring of the Holy Spirit that really began in 1950 because Jesus said this is the last great revival. And uh, we understand that the charismatic renewal really, uh, the seeds of it were being planted in the late 1940s and early 50s. Brother Hagin says that, said that he believed that before Jesus returned, the last great manifestation, the last great revival, the, 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 uh, the climax, the apex of the moves of God would, would include everything that had gone before. It would, it would include everything that took place in the, in the Pentecostal revival, the healing revival, the charismatic revival, We don't see that hunger in the church today like existed during the charismatic renewal. Like I said, there was, people were just hungry for the Holy Spirit. You, you could go into supermarkets and just stand in the checkout line and, you, and you'd just be quiet and you'd hear people talking about the Holy Ghost. And, and, and it, it, these weren't Pentecostal people. These were people from all the, all the denominations. I went to Pentecost or to charismatic meetings and there were surgeons and, and, and dentists and attorneys and, and school principals and college professors and, and, and leading business people in the community, leading uh, uh, in Jacksonville city councilmen. I mean, people from all walks of life as well as, as just ordinary people. And everybody was the same. Everybody was sharing with one another about the Holy Spirit. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit. They had spoken with other tongues and they were laying hands on one another. I mean, you, you didn't want, if you didn't want to get hands laid on, you don't go to one of those meetings because they laid hands on everybody. And, and healings took place and miracles were happening. We don't have that hunger today in the church. We don't even have it in most spirit-filled churches. We don't even have it in most word of faith churches. I said, we don't. It's not, I'm telling you, if you weren't there, you have no idea how pervasive and how exciting it was in those days. I'm believing God. I have a conviction in my heart that before Jesus returns, we're gonna see those days again. When the Lord spoke to me in, in 2013 about a, a coming uh, uh, visitation that, that there was that, the, that God was going to visit there was a visitation coming again to America I had the sense of that same uh, excitement that people would be hungry again people would be eager to be in church and to, and to people would come to a place where they want everything God has for them that's what I'm believing God for that's why I'm teaching on this I'm telling you it's coming. It's coming. Amen. This is what we're praying about. Hallelujah. And, and we have it in a measure. But we don't, we don't, we, we're excited about what we have. But let me just tell you, we haven't seen anything yet. The revival that has stirred among us in this local church here in the last couple of years, it, this, is, this doesn't even compare with what I knew back then. Oh, hallelujah. Will you pray with me? Will you believe with me? Will you hunger with me? Will you stir yourself up? Oh, hallelujah. It's, it's so important. I don't know how much time we have before Jesus returns. I don't know if it's four years or 14 years or, you know, what it might be. I don't know. But you know what? It, uh, 
How would you live your life if you knew, you can't know, I understand no one will know this, but if you could know the day and the hour, and if you knew that Jesus was coming this Wednesday, church age was going to wrap up, the rapture, would it affect how you live the rest of today, Monday and Tuesday, would it affect you? It would me. I'm just being honest with you. It, it would change me. I'm just honest. It would change me. Because I, I don't live with that kind of, of reality. It would make a difference. Well, I don't know how much, long we, how much longer we have. Let's say we have another 10 years. I don't know. 10 years is short. 10 years is short. When you consider all your family and all your friends and the people that you do not want to see left and how resistant they've been, how much opposition they've given you, listen, our work is cut out for us. If it's 10 years, if it's 15 years, we don't have long. We ought to be, we ought to be living like we expect Jesus to come soon. And not, just, and not just acknowledge that we believe it, but actually live like we believe it. Amen? And this world will never be saved, and the people that we need to see saved. You know, when, 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 when the Lord spoke to Paul, when he was at Corinth, and he, and he was facing opposition, the Lord said, do not hold your peace. Continue to preach, for I, I have many people in this city. God knew the names and the faces and the persons, the lives of every one of those people that would eventually be saved in Corinth. He knew them before they got there. He knew them before they came in. There are people who are going to be saved before Jesus returns. A great company. It's not going to happen without an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's not going to happen with the church in the condition it's in right now. It's not. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I'm expecting some change. I just mark it right down today, the last Sunday of, of, of April 2016. Change is coming, praise God. It's coming. I'm not satisfied. I'm not giving up. I, I, what we've seen is wonderful, but I'm telling you, there's more. There's more. There's more. I've seen more in my lifetime and what I've seen in my lifetime doesn't even equal what's yet to come. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Well, let's stand. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I tell you what, this morning, if I was an Episcopal priest... If I was Father Anderson and I had my shirt, you know, collar turned around backwards and this was a, a, an Episcopal church that didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, if I got up here this morning and said, I want to tell you folks something, I have been filled with the Holy Spirit and have spoken with other tongues, it would blow this place apart. It did then. It would today. We need to, we need to understand that it's that significant. It's that significant. It's that important. It's that uh, radical. It's that radical. Hallelujah. What you have, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a radical experience with God that a lot of people, the majority of the church world, doesn't even know because th those days have passed. And the church world has slid, though all of these denominations have slid right back. It's kind of swallowed all of that up. Fire's gone out. But I'm telling you, a lot of those people that were filled with the Spirit left those churches because they didn't have any fellowship anymore. And they left and formed, you know, independent charismatic churches. And those, those denominations have fallen right back into the darkness. God still loves those people, He still has a plan to shake it up, wake it up, amen, stir it up. Our God likes to stir stuff up. 
Amen. What you have in you is life-stirring power. What you have, you have an experience that will stir people up. Hallelujah. I like that. I've always been a little bit mischievous. I've always liked stirring things up a little bit, not always in a good way. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I tell you what. Like I said, if, I, if, if this was one of those churches and I got up and said, you know, that I've spoken with other tongues, it would, it, would, it would be chaotic. God wants to do that again. Yeah. He wants to stir people up again. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Glory to God for the last days. We thank you, Lord, that we're living in the end times. And Lord, we believe with all of our heart that before Jesus returns, there will be a great harvest in our own nation and in the nations of the world. And we see in, in a large measure, we see that happening in other places in the world. But even that doesn't compare with what must take place before Jesus returns. But Father, our nation, the United States of America, has been the platform. You've used our nation and our people over the years to be a springboard, to be a light, to bring the gospel to the world. The gospel has gone out from this nation, from churches and Christians, and spread all over the world. We have a great heritage. And I know, Father, that there are ungodly forces working in our nation, trying to suppress, trying to turn us away from that biblical heritage. I understand it. And I know some things must transpire before Jesus returns. But in the midst of the darkness, when the enemy comes in, you've said like a raging river flood, that you will raise up a standard. And Father, I think in these last days, I believe that even though ungodliness and darkness is growing, that right in the middle of this, Father, there will be a refreshing, a visitation, a move, an outpouring, a revival. Father, that will sweep hungry people Bring enlightenment and blessing, salvation, deliverance, healing, victory, power, the fullness of the Spirit. Glory to God and sweep people in to your kingdom in these last days. Glory to God. Father, we expect it as a church. Help us to live day by day. And as we go about the ordinary things of life, attending to the things we must attend to, help us to keep this awareness that we're living in the last days and that the time for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is here. Let us be alert. Let us be awake. Help us to live with, with the right appreciation and the right view of everything going on around us so that we can be ready. Glory to God. We are each one, Father. We pledge ourselves today. Each one of us are missionaries. Each one of us are carriers of the gospel. And each one of us who are filled with the Spirit, we're carriers of this revival. It's in us. You've shown it to us. You've, you've, you've blessed us with, a, with this spark, with this fire, with this life. Glory to God. Father, we are all carriers of this revival. Glory to God. Help us to understand that and to live accordingly, Lord. To be ready and willing at every minute take advantage of every opportunity to speak the power of the name of Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Ghost everywhere we go. Glory to God. Thank you for these times.
Thank you for the hour in which we live. Thank you for the commission that you've given us as believers and the commission you've given this church to spread the news of revival. Glory to God. We thank you for it, Father. We purpose in our heart, Lord, to be obedient and to do all that you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Don't be afraid to lay hands on the sick. Don't be weird about it. Just do it. Just as as an automatic thing. You meet people that have a need in their lives, just grab them by the hand real quick. Shock them. Just grab them by the hand and say, can I pray for you? I guarantee you 90% of the time they'll say, yeah, please do. And when you pray, pray with power. Don't mumble some little weak, mealy mouth little prayer, little ashamed, backward prayer. You take them by the hand and you pray the power of God into, her, into their life. You take and you pray with faith and you claim God's blessing and you bind the devil in their lives and you cast out anything that needs to be cast out. You rebuke anything that needs to be reviewed. Rebuke You empower healing and victory and deliverance and power into their lives and expect God to move. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise God. We used to sing a song, I'd rather be a Christian. Remember that song, I'd rather be a Christian than anything I know? I'd rather be a spirit-filled Christian than anything I know. I'd rather be a Holy Ghost-empowered Christian. I'd rather be a tongue-talking Christian. I'd rather be a devil-chasing Christian than anything I know. I'd rather, be, I'd rather live in victory. Glory to God. And have the power of God upon me than anything I know. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.